Welcome to the Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast, the podcast for high achievers who want to stay sharp, focused, and full of energy despite their diagnosis. With your host, National Board Certified Functional Medicine Health Coach, Julie Michelson, where Julie helps you take your power back from autoimmunity. And now here's your host, Julie Michelson. Welcome back to the Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast. I'm your host, Julie Michelson. And today I'm joined by Amanda Nowasadsky, author of the Clean Southern Cuisine Cookbook and founder of the Queen Southern Cuisine blog. Today we're talking about clean Southern cooking and so much more that will serve you no matter your culinary heritage. Whether you're following an AIP, keto, gluten-free, or just plain mindful diet, Amanda shows us how to include treats and foods that bring us joy while fueling our health. Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Julie, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you today. I am thrilled. I love what you're doing and you answer a a protest I get all the time, which is, you know, it's too hard or I miss. So I want to just jump right in because we were just chatting off mic and found out that we're kind of neighbors. And I was teasing that you're this lovely Southern belle living in Colorado, but you are also unique in, you know, not everybody is, is cooking clean Southern cuisine. So how did you fall into this world? What motivated you to start finding a a cleaner way to cook? Absolutely. You know, it was really a happy accident. And it was about a decade ago, I was on the verge of a landmark birthday. And Julie, as silly as this now seems, I was going to be turning 30. And I thought, okay, I want to shed a few extra pounds. And the paleo diet was very in vogue then. You know, that was really um, one of the premier diets at the time. So I'd heard quite a few friends talking about it. And I thought, okay, I'm going to try this paleo thing, right, to shed these few extra pounds. So I get on the paleo diet. And my goal was to lose pounds, which I did. But what I didn't expect was that these health issues that I've been struggling with would just disappear. So a few weeks in, I had this major light bulb moment where I realized that the tendonitis that I'd been struggling with in my wrist for like a year and a half, it was unbearable, right? I couldn't chop. There were days I'd have to take off from work because I couldn't type. I mean, it was really extreme. So I'd been to a chiropractor. I'd been to you know, an orthopedic surgeon. I'd been to everybody and it just didn't feel like a pill or a cream was like this and I'll be all answer. I wasn't even 30, right? So I'm thinking, what the heck? I don't want to be on a pill or a cream for the rest of my life. Same with my IBS or irritable bowel syndrome, right? I was diagnosed with that. And I just always thought, okay, I kind of have this crazy stomach and something I'm going to have to live with. Well, lickety split a few weeks into eating sort of the paleo diet where I'd removed gluten and dairy and grains and legumes wow, had this light bulb moment where I realized that all of those symptoms had subsided and it really blew my mind. You know, being from South Louisiana, organic whole food was really not a focus. (laughs) Probably not easy to come by, let, let a focus, you know. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's, it's not a, it's not of great importance for many people there. Let's face it. Right. What's, what's of great importance is that the food is delicious and that it's a part of our heritage, right? There's really a huge aspect of culinary heritage there. You know, I learned to make gumbo at my mom's hip at the age of probably six. I probably learned how to make a roux, the base for a gumbo, right? So it's really this cultural and this culinary inheritance. How healthy it is, a little bit less important, right? So it was really, you know, I'm on the verge of this birthday. I lose these pounds. I start realizing that I just have less inflammation in my body. I'd been paying a personal trainer an ungodly amount of money to work out for probably a year. And 
all of a sudden, you know, when I had this light bulb moment, I realized, wait, all of my work is finally showing up because this inflammation is leaving me. And I was really able to narrow it down, Julie, to like the main culprit being gluten. Well, that made me pretty sad because I realized, well, there goes gumbo, there goes crawfish pie, there goes biscuits, there go all these things that are such a part of me and that I want to enjoy on a regular or at least an occasional basis, right? So, you know, it really became a selfish quest, I guess I'd say, mm-hmm. because I, you know, Googled for gluten-free or paleo Southern recipes. They just didn't meet my standards. I love <laughs> Not that. being from South Louisiana. So I, I really began to revamp some generations old family recipes, right? And then I be, began to create new ones because I wanted to eat them, right? I knew like, I'm, I don't want to live my life without these. And it wasn't until further in um, that somebody said to me, it was my sister-in-law who specializes in Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Oh, actually. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. She said to me, you know what, Amanda, I think I was waxing poetic about I don't know, gluten-free gumbo and how it could be amazing. And you could feed it to occasion and they'd never know the difference, which I actually did do that, by the way, in testing for my cookbook. And she said, Amanda, I think you need to write a cookbook. And it wasn't until that moment that I thought like, you know what, there's a lot of other people out there who could probably use this as well. And that's what what a contribution. Yeah. 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 So that was the impetus for starting Clean Southern Cuisine, the cookbook and, you know, the blog by the same name, because, you know, I guess it's, it was my own mess that really fueled me to, to create these recipes that I could still enjoy, right? I wasn't willing to cut them out of my life completely. I knew that wouldn't be realistic. And it was really from that selfish place that I started to create them, but then very quickly became passionate and realized how many other people are suffering from an autoimmune disease, are, you know, diabetic, have some sort of chronic issue that they're trying to manage, or maybe just wake up in the morning aching and don't realize why, right? Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's normal. (laughs) Yeah. And Julie, I think we do get to that place where we just begin to accept those things as as normal, you know? Well, which is why we're here so that people won't do that. They'll say no. And I think it's a ton about awareness because if someone had spoken to me before that time that I had that light bulb moment, I would have thought they were crazy or I would have just dismissed it because, you know, my crazy stomach, my IBS was just a part of me. It was like, okay, you eat this food or this rich food you know, you know, the consequences, right? Or your knees are a little achy when you wake up. Well, I mean, come on, I wasn't 30 yet. That's not normal, right? right. But again, we accepted it. It wasn't for you. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I, I'm so with you. We have so many fun overlaps and, and crossovers. First, finding out we're neighbors. I too found out about my celiac actually as a happy accident. I went gluten-free to support my son when he was diagnosed. And same thing. I was on 10 prescriptions that weren't helping, but it was like, oh, I feel a little better gluten-free. My joints don't hurt as much. My, you know, and so so that was awesome. What you're doing is such a contribution. I and I and you know, your heritage is so richly steeped in food. But what I know from working with all the different clients I work with, really all over the world, all all of our heritages are, are steeped in food. It is such a part of our families and our social circles. And, you know, every it's just interwoven into our celebrations, everything. And- I did not to the level of you. I should have you tweak some of my stuff. I grew up on the East Coast in a Jewish family. And so, and I feel like almost all of those, well, at least here culturally, I I feel like flour is a basis. You know, everybody has some kind of a dumpling or some soup with something in it. And for me, my shining glory, I loved that you were like, you could give it to a Cajun and they would, they don't know. I made 
I think it was two years ago, I made matzo ball soup. I made, I made grain-free paleo matzo ball soup and served it outside of my family, served it to friends who were also Jewish. So had grown up with it. They had no idea it was grain-free. The matzo balls were light and fluffy and delicious. <laughs> I didn't come up with that recipe. I, I actually, there is a, an incredible paleo uh, cook who you may or may not know or know of who lives also is a neighbor of ours. And so she does a lot of, she's Jewish and does a lot of Jewish recipes and thank God <laughs> I'm like, yay. So it is, it's such a contribution because we all do have these stories. And so it, it I don't, I'm, I did grow up, my family was in the restaurant business, but I, I'm not a brilliant cook or chef or I'm a, I'm a recipe follower more than a recipe maker when I'm cooking for others. And when I cook for just us, you know, I, I cook clean and easy. Yes. But it, I have spent over the past 15 years, you know, we, we it's, we tweaking the family recipes, the noodle kugel that, you know, people are like grain-free noodle kugel. Yeah, you can do it. Grain-free, dairy-free, you name it. And it's not taste-free. It's not flavor-free. And so, but I would say when you think Southern, people would say, well, no way, like just don't even bother. So (laughs) it is such a contribution. And I'm so excited to be able to to share your cookbook with not only our listeners, but really with my clients that are Southern and those recipes really speak to them. Thank you, Julie. And you're so right. I think everybody's connected to their culinary heritage. And I think the other thing is, you know, many of us travel places and have like this unforgettable, unforgettable meal, right? And a lot of people have traveled to New Orleans or to the Louisiana Gulf Coast, and they've had this thing that they want to talk to me about when they find out I'm from there, right? (laughs) So I find that, you know, there's such a connection that makes that cuisine, the Cajun and the Creole cuisine, especially that influence on Southern food known the world over. And so I've realized that, you know, not only Southerners have been interested in this, but so many other people who just have either had a quick brush with New Orleans or with Louisiana cuisine, or who've gone there for an extended period of time, or who know somebody, you know, that are from the area and make this one thing they just can't get enough of. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Really. It's, it's so exciting. And and I love, so when I went gluten-free, I say 15 years ago, I'm thinking about how old my son is. It was probably longer than that. Um, It's again, options, you know, there weren't great cookbooks and there weren't great products and we're going to, I don't want to jump ahead, but I have to, there weren't great flour alternatives. There weren't, I mean, it was just, it was a struggle and, and it was very easy actually for me to then go paleo because it was like, well, the other stuff didn't taste good anyway. (laughs) So just just avoiding it. But I want to circle back to uh, this idea of clean, right? Because I, if I could tell you how many times people show up and, and, and are my first meeting with them, they'll say, I eat clean. What does that mean yep. to you? Tell right. me about it, you know? And I'm like, oh boy, we have very different <laughs> definitions of clean. So when you say clean Southern cuisine, what, what are you bringing to us? What, what are your criteria for clean? Absolutely. So for me, it's always going to be gluten-free because as I mentioned for myself, I identified that gluten was a major culprit. And I'm sure you probably have seen in your practice and in food sensitivity testing that it is for so many of us, celiac or not, right? Oh, absolutely. It's the one, and I I do have a, there's a short list of foods that I think everybody, if interested, it does best to avoid. But I say, and especially working with the autoimmune community, that is, I'll say we all should have, and I use food testing and I, you know, we, we use all of it and elimination diets and everyone needs to figure out for themselves. But Without a doubt, and my listeners are probably rolling eyes because they know what's coming because I say it all the time. The one thing across the board, everybody with autoimmunity or autoimmune in your family or chronic inflammation should avoid is gluten, period. It's just simple. 
you know, it's it's the it's the sad truth, but it's made less sad by, you know, people like myself and yourself yes. who really strive to find or to create things that, you know, you don't know the difference. It's actually so delicious. You don't miss it. That is possible. If anybody's listening and is thinking like, that's just not possible. It is. I promise. I'm, I was, I had a very healthy dose of Southern skepticism about gluten-free <laughs> before I actually came to it and realized it. But for me, clean Southern cuisine and clean is going to be free of gluten and free of, of other inflammatory ingredients whenever possible. We're going to try to go non-GMO. We're going to try to do organic whenever possible. And also we're going to try to make these things as nutrient dense as possible while, and here's the caveat for the big caveat for me in testing all of these recipes rigorously was that they needed to maintain a traditional taste and texture and I mentioned feeding my gluten-free gumbo to a Cajun neighbor, which was actually... You had to be hilarious. nervous. <laughs> it, was a, it was a good test, you know? And yeah. so, you know, I got his honest reaction and he was, you know, he just thought, well, this is great gumbo. This tastes like your mom's gumbo, right? Which is the recipe I modified from, but he never would have known. And those That's moments the are the ones that are like a triumph for, you know, anybody who's a recipe writer but also what can show the listeners and demonstrate to the listeners that it's not hopeless. You're not going to feel deprived and like you're never satiated. You know, there's actually a ton of hope when you find the right resources. So that's clean for me. I love that. I, and there is a ton of hope, which is why the podcast is inspired living. I mean, we, I, I just love, and I love all the, I love, so I have to say, as somebody who's not a Southerner, I smiled on the inside when you said nutrient dense, because that's another thing I don't necessarily think of when I think of Southern cuisine. So I love that you're bringing that in. So you're not just avoiding, which is all about how to optimize health people. It's not all about avoiding the bad stuff. It's also about making sure we're getting the good stuff. Absolutely. It's focusing on these ingredients that we really learn about as we start to experiment with them. Or I've got a quick start guide in the beginning of the cookbook that really goes through pantry items and refrigerator items. And then I try to educate you a little bit throughout on what each brings to the table. For instance, there's a cookie in my book and it's called I Dream of Chocolate Cookies because Julie, I do dream of chocolate if I'm being <laughs> honest. So <laughs> most particular cookies use a raw cacao powder versus a regular cocoa powder, right? And as you know, and maybe as some people know, but some people don't, mm -hmm. a lot of those nutrients and cocoa powder that you put in brownies or baked goods are completely roasted out of it. Whereas if you're enjoying raw cacao powder, well, then you're getting a ton of magnesium and you're getting all of these phenomenal nutrients from it that you would not get otherwise, right? So I figured, hey, if it's easy to layer in a little nutrition and we can still maintain that great, you know, traditional taste and texture, we can still free feed it to our, you know, American standard diet, friends, et cetera. Well, then why the heck wouldn't we, right? I love that. And I, I love that you said, you know, feeding it to, to our sad friends. You didn't say it. I'll say it. That's my, I joke. Like that's my, my test. That That's exactly how I test stuff is I mean, my, my house is the hub for my friend group. And this particular friend group, you know, doesn't, they don't all eat as clean. There's yeah. kind of a variety and some like terrible. I mean, really bad. <laughs> and so I, I always, I like to host and I, because I like to be in charge of the food, you know, and that's exactly how I test it. And, and I will, when I hand, before I hand it off to a client or somebody, I'll be like, no, I know, you know, the, that plate was empty at the party. So I know, you know, anybody would like this. And, and that's the key. It shouldn't be, I'm guilty of, I've been grain free so long. I didn't have crackers. And I, I wasn't somebody, I honestly, it's what you get used to, you know, as well. So I wasn't someone who missed bread or crack. I, I wasn't trying all the bad things that are out there that they sell that taste like cardboard because yes. I just didn't care. I was happy with my protein, fat and veggies, but 
And I just lost my train of thought as to where I was going with that. Wow. Um, no worries. Gone. It happens. So gone. Anyway, so I, I want to ask you this because a lot of our listeners are possibly, you know, doing an AIP elimination or, you know, everybody has kind of a different level of what works for them. I tell people all the time, once we go through when I'm working with somebody one-on-one and we, you know, do their food sensitivity and we do their elimination phase, I'm an AIP coach. I don't put everybody through AIP. I, we, you know, individualize everything we do, but I always say the best option is the most varied diet that suits your body. Mine is really restrictive. And so I would say, and that usually is my answer. I would hope you could eat more foods than I can and feel well, like really. And so, you know, not everybody's fully grain-free dairy is another one. And we grew up, my family was in the dairy business, but it's, it's pretty inflammatory for everybody. But so if somebody is beyond gluten-free is my long-winded way of asking, will, will they be able to find recipes in the cookbook or ideas that they can use? They will, Julie. The cookbook is not, other than being Mm gluten-free, there's nothing else across the board that applies. In other words, the rest of it is not all AIP or keto or dairy-free, but most of the recipes have modifications, right? Some of them are going to be all of that. Some of them are going to be keto, AIP, et cetera, appropriate for almost anybody. Others are really going to have special modifications like If you enjoy and have raw dairy in your life, you have the option to add some cheese to this biscuit, some raw cheddar to this biscuit, okay? Or, you know, to make my mouth water a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Biscuits. I mean, you you called it earlier with the the flour and with the bread, you know, there's also going to be notations about to make something AIP friendly, substitute, you know, a flax egg for an egg or what have you. There's lots of substitutes. So, so yeah, the answer is yes. I, I didn't want to take it all in one direction of AIP or keto, et cetera, because I wanted it to be accessible to more people. And, you know, you just mentioned AIP elimination, you know, hopefully uh, the goal is I'm sure in your practice and for most people is not to stay in that AIP elimination phase because that would be tough. Right. And I know for myself, if I weren't able to have like these special occasion foods um, that I would call like sweets or treats like biscuits or, you know, a fabulous cookie. If I weren't able to do that ever, I would probably fail miserably. So it's not that, (laughs) yeah, right. It's not that you have to, you know, incorporate these into your diet every week or that I'm even suggesting that I'm, I'm not, but you know, when you sit down to the holiday table, one of the things that's most looked forward to, I think in any culture is going to be some sort of bready item, like a biscuit or a roll or, you know, a fabulous, you know, bread from scratch. Right. So it's just, it's good to have these resources, even if they're not going to be a part of your everyday life, or they're not going to be a part of your AIP elimination phase, or maybe your AIP everyday diet. But as you mentioned, you know, find the thing that works best for your body but you're eating the, the most, you know, varied diet that you can. I, I love that because I think it's also so important for us each to figure out what works for our individual selves. And I love it that functional medicine practitioners like you can really help us to dig down into that with food sensitivity testing, et cetera. And I mean, that's, gosh, I mean, knowledge is, is power, isn't it? And knowledge is also power to really enjoy and incorporate some delicious things when you've got that knowledge at your fingertips. Absolutely. I call those the, some, my sometimes foods. So I I have foods that I know they're a little bit inflammatory for me and I allow myself to have them thoughtfully on occasion. And for me, it's not even breads and it's tomatoes. You know, I nightshades, I grew up in New Jersey. I'm a Jersey girl. I love tomatoes. I just, they don't seem to love me, but I, if I eat 
tomatoes. And, and that's how I would define a sometimes food is, and I'm a little, when I say sometimes, I mean like a handful of times a year, like I am for me, but that's because I am who I am and I do what I do for a living. Yes. And so I know if eating tomatoes two days in a row, if I can feel it, that means that even when I eat them once and can't feel it, it's doing something. Absolutely. So I limit that, but I, I totally agree with you. And I, this has been uh, confession time for me. It's, it's been a process for me. I, I joke, I'm a kinder, gentler coach than I used to be. I used to be very much like, just do it. And why do you need a biscuit? And why do you need it? You know, and now I get it. I'm like, you know what? Everybody has a different level of need of variety of treat of, you know, or what is a treat? You know, maybe not everybody can really think of the strawberry as a treat. <laughs> like it's okay. And so it is so important to have those go-tos so that they don't just throw the towel in and say, well, forget it. This is too hard. Absolutely. When I couldn't agree more, you know, I love it that you say you were a tougher coach at some point <laughs> because I get it. You know, when, when you're really into it, you can almost have a level of insensitivity to like, okay, well, I'm doing it. I'm, it's working for me. I'm thriving. I'm seeing all of these benefits. Why can't you understand, right? Yeah. But when you're on the outside of that and you haven't experienced the benefits, I feel like it's especially hard to yeah. really just jump all in. It takes a level of, I guess, trust or risk, right? And just, yeah, throwing yourself at it and realizing like, okay, everybody's saying it's going to be worth it. I guess it will be worth it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, and part of it too, to be totally probably more honest than, than you were hoping for is it is such a pattern because I see it with my clients now all the time. I was coaching at the time how I was living and I was living extremely restricted because I went from so sick to so well that I, I didn't trust my body to be able to handle. I didn't, I didn't want to risk it. Absolutely. And so I actually tease, you know, at that phase that you were just talking about when we're getting ready to jump into an elimination and people are panicking. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I can do this. I don't, yes. is it really going to work? And I joke, I, I have a couple of clients. It's funny what it makes sense. They're, they're accountants and they were, Literally, I think the only clients I've had that have started, you know, I never give an X amount. I say at least 30 days for the elimination. That's it. And we talk about why and how we'll know and all of that. And <laughs> they start counting, you know, day one, day two, you know, they're the, like, and I'm like, Are you, you're counting to what? We don't know yet. Like, <laughs> stop right. counting. Why counting? <laughs> but I, I always have to convince people in the beginning when they're in that phase, like, you don't believe me now, but I am going to have to really encourage you to do your reintroductions, yeah. right? Because people don't want to rock the boat. Totally. Yeah. totally. But yeah, the you, you, part, it's where you learn when, what treats can you, can you put cheese on your biscuit? People yes. want to know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Can you? Yeah, I know. Because that elimination phase is powerful. And then the reintroduction phase is also powerful, right? For the reasons you just mentioned. And it's those light bulb moments where when you eliminate and you just st suddenly start noticing a symptom or two that's no longer there, or you just feel so much dang better overall, I get it. You know, if you've tried that, you sometimes get to that point where you're like, it is not worth it. Yeah. You know, whether, it, and you can decide for you, whether it's never, or whether it's, you know, you said like your yeah. sometimes foods a few times a year, I've got those as well. And I love the sometimes food term. Yes. I think that's yeah. great. <laughs> we <laughs> have know? a never ever, and a, this one's in, and this is yes. so, sometimes, just sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you, we danced around the flower topic. Let's talk flower. I have never talked flower on the podcast so far. Yeah. And I dangerous, know dangerous territory. <laughs> Personal experience. It's a it is people are funny about flower. <laughs> so I I agree that this transition away from wheat flour is like this big, ugly, hairy, scary thing for people. And nothing's ever going to taste right again. Or texture is a big deal. Yes. So 
educate us. Yeah, totally. So as you mentioned, you know, a couple years back, even gluten-free flours and one-to-one alternatives, they just sucked. Let's be blunt, right? They did. Until, until more recently, it just wasn't worth it. But what I wanted to do was to create a one-to-one substitute that didn't have to be store-bought, A, for cost, and B, just so we have control over the ingredients. Because as you and I were just talking about, some people may be able to tolerate certain ingredients or may be able to tolerate some sort of binder or gum. For others, that's going to be off limits completely, right? So this really kind of gives you the control over the ingredients. And that is actually available free on my website. I'm sure we can link it in show notes or something. It is going to absolutely be linked in the show (laughs) notes. This is Amanda's beautiful gift to to everybody listening. Oh, thank you. Well, and you know, again, this won't be for those AIP elimination times or, you know, maybe your everyday AIP. This will be for those special occasions. So if you're thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to eat my grandma's chocolate cake recipe again. Okay. Well, this is where we get to debunk that. And this is where you can get my my one-to-one flower guide, as well as a quick start guide that just talks to you about binders and helps you to rework that recipe so that it really has a similar taste and texture or the very same as the original, right? That nostalgia or that connection that comes with it. And that gift also includes a few of my favorite recipes. One of them is a biscuit that can be made completely without any dairy, no butter, no milk. It's even egg free. So I know eggs can be a big trigger for a lot of people Mm -hmm. and a lot of gluten-free biscuits and breads. Well, they involve eggs, right? Because they're missing other things, but these biscuits are the ones that you could literally bring. Julie, you could serve them to your group of friends. That's everything. Yeah. yeah, It fits every category, (laughs) vegan, sad, et cetera, et cetera. So that's included in the gift as well. I really wanted people to have a go to, let's say you're going to a social gathering, you have special dietary needs, other people there might have different ones. This is kind of that thing you can bring and everybody's going to be happy. I've tested it at several holiday gatherings. So I could vouch for that. Amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. It is true that flour is a big one, right? And I think it's important to note like you said, you've put, you've never discussed flour on this podcast before. <laughs> it's probably because you don't go out and encourage, you know, your clients to make it a huge part of, of their regular consumption, right? That's true. And, and I, I love that you brought that up because even people that are doing an AIP elimination, you, you can make AIP compliant, elimination phase compliant baked goods. Yes. Um, it's, you still shouldn't be eating them every day. Like that's still a treat and that's hard for people to wrap their head around. You know, we, we need to redefine treats, I think as, as adults and, and it's certainly, it's a process, right. As we grow and learn and realize what our bodies really need. And, and like you said, what you're doing is allowing people to have that treat, have that connection, have that, those memories, you know, your baby is going to have those memories of the yummies around the table, right? And, and but they're they're going to be a much healthier option. Absolutely, yeah. Well, they'll be they'll be less, you know, inflammatory. They'll hopefully be yeah. more nutrient dense, etc. Right? If we're going to have it, if we know better, we can do better, right? Absolutely. So if we're able to get educated on some of these ingredients, it might not be the perfect thing that we eat all the time. To your point, but is it something we can enjoy on occasion? Absolutely. So I yeah. love it, and I love that you take it down to the gums. That may sound weird to people. We're not talking about <laughs> dentistry here, um, yes. because because I do extensive food sensitivity panels with all of my clients. Yes, I have been truly amazed at how many are highly sensitive to some of those gums. One hundred, um, and we're talking about guar gums, anthem gum. If people are like, "What the heck are they even talking about?" <laughs> exactly. There's a variety of them, and they're commonly added, you know, if you go buy a jug of milk, there aren't any gums added, right? Cow's milk. But if you right. go buy almond milk, there very well may be, or coconut milk or whatever other alternative you might be looking for. And so 
getting to see those test results in front of me all the time with like, oh, and watch for this and watch for that. I love that you really get down to that level because that's the detail. Like you just, you've blown my mind where somebody is gets lost, right? It's like, okay, well, it's hitting all these other things, but then it's got, oh shoot, I can't have xanthan gum. Yep. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's something I've struggled with as well, because I've noticed that I can be slightly sensitive to certain gums. And when I realized that it was like, okay, well then what else can I use in place of, or can it just be eliminated in this recipe? Right. And, you know, you can still make phenomenal gluten-free goods without xanthan gum. Now right. let's say that you, that's one of your sometimes ingredients, maybe like you're going to have right. it once or twice or three times a year because it just really enhances the texture of something. Great. You know, you're equipped with that knowledge and then you'll be equipped with my little table that tells you exactly how much gum to add to achieve the perfect, you know, whether it's a pizza crust or a cookie or a cake you know, those take different amounts. So basically I've taken out all of the chemistry of it for you. I never liked chemistry in school, but I do like it. Now you got into it. (laughs) Well, and they say, I mean, it is, you need chemistry in the kitchen that you just do. So I love that. That's amazing. I have so many things I want to ask you about. I'm like, oh, which way should I go? Where can, and I, I want to make sure, I know the, the gift will be in the show notes. Where can people get the book? Absolutely. It's on Amazon. So if you Amazon Google, as I say, if you Amazon search clean Southern cuisine, it should come right up. And yeah, it's prime shipping. Doesn't get more convenient than that. You know, it is, it is absolutely wonderful. I'm telling you guys get, get the book. Uh, Mine is on the way here or else I would have, this would have been a three hour episode because I would have all the questions about all the recipes, but I am super excited to, to play with it. And, and not being a Southern girl, I know my standards aren't that high, but knowing that the recipes are so high standard, I would, I would even invite my Southern friends. So oh. it'll, it'll be fun. It'll be That's so high fun. praise. Thank you. <laughs> if someone's feeling overwhelmed by just this idea of clean eating, where do you recommend they start? You know, Julie, I think it's not necessarily an action. The longer I, I do this, the more I realize this. It's something we touched on earlier where they start is actually just one one thing that they need to remember and remind themselves of, which is it will be worth it. I love that. Right? It will be worth it. It might be tough. We're not saying it's going to be super easy. There may be a learning curve. In fact, there probably will be a learning curve for most, most people, but it will be worth it. And that's, I think, what we all have to start at, just to realize like, Dang it, I am going to have to clean out my pantry. I remember my resistance, you know, when I um, decided to start the paleo diet before my 30th birthday. It was like, I don't want to throw, waste all of these ingredients, the sugar, et cetera. There was really this hesitancy around it for me. And I wish somebody had, had told me that, right? Like, it will be worth it for more reasons than you probably can even fathom right now. Yes. So, I yes. love that. Absolutely. <laughs> And I love the, that's been another evolution in, in my coaching as we always would work with mindset. Now it's like mindset first, like we need, we need to get in the right place and, and approach it as I know you were going paleo, probably thinking short-term in your mind to oh, yeah. you know, lose weight, but, but we're talking about, yes, it, it takes time. It takes energy. It's a process, but it's your life. So that's worth it. Yeah. There's almost no better gift that you can give to yourself. I guess there are plenty of gifts you can give to yourself, mentally, gratitude practices, all these things that I think affect our health. But, you know, for me, especially growing up in the South, and I'm sure it's the same for people that grew up in plenty of other places where maybe the focus wasn't on healthy food, but it was like on really good food. You know, there's a... (laughs) There's this thing you just have to realize that eventually it, it, it will be worth it and you'll get over that that skepticism, you know, like eventually you'll be able to leave that behind because you'll see that there can be a balance and that it, it will be 
absolutely worth your time. And it'll be one of, yeah, just one of the best things you could do for yourself because, and I think the magic lies in the things that you didn't expect. Like for me, it wasn't, the magic actually wasn't in the, the weight loss that I started the diet for. It was that in my wrist didn't ache constantly anymore. And I wasn't having all of these digestive symptoms. And then I realized, oh my gosh, like my ankles and knees don't hurt when I wake up anymore. Right. That's, I think the magic really lies in those, those unexpected moments um, where you for yourself can finally make that connection. So. I love that. That's amazing. And when you were telling your story, it, it always blows me away when you added in the IBS, I just had this conversation with somebody I I had gut issues, shocker, my whole life as well, just did. My oldest, who was the first in the family to be diagnosed with celiac from infancy, probably through age three, had horrible, like violent reflux and a poor baby. And it was, I'm sorry, we do the best we can with what we know, right? So medicated. He had so many specialists and, and, and was poor thing, you know, get so over medicated to try to get him to keep food down. Nobody ever asked me when he was an infant and I was nursing what I was eating. And as he, when he was a toddler, nobody asked what he was eating when, you know, I'm guessing when you had IBS, nobody thought to ask you, like, could it be food related? Do you, you know, have you ever tried X, Y, Z? And so that seems so obvious now in, in hindsight that that may be something people do expect, but like you said, whether it's the aches and the pains, energy, better brain fog lifting. I mean, literally your skin clearing, you name it. I, I can't think of something that you may not even think of as a quote unquote symptom that uh, that may not improve. I mean, it's the sky's the limit. (laughs) It's true. And, you know, I remember my sister-in-law who'd been onto the paleo diet circuit for a while telling me before I started, you should write down your symptoms and I was I actually, I literally thought, Julie, I was like, what is she talking? Symptoms? I don't have any symptoms. I'm not sick. <laughs> yeah. Well, you are. You just don't realize right. it, right? You've, you just we normalize it. Yeah. yeah. This is my normal. This is like what happens to me when I eat this food or this is just the way I feel. You've just learned to live with it, which is, which is so sad. So, and you know, you touched on something, um, with the, with the IBS piece. And, you know, I think a lot of us, and I don't know if you're included, kind of believe that's somewhat of a blanket term, of that's course. Given, but, you know, it's, never kind of, it's the fibromyalgia of the gut. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, we don't know. We'll just call it this. We'll just put it under that category. Yeah. yeah. Follow there. So, I mean, I was never once asked about food by a conventional medicine practitioner. Right. And like you said, there's a lot more knowledge out there now and just awareness around the connection. But I think that's where the beauty of functional medicine comes in as well. And I'm not knocking conventional medicine because it's oh, saved my either. life. And right. I, I say that all the time. I'm like, God forbid I need emergency surgery. I am going to a Western trained surgeon period. Like I am not going 100%. for acupuncture yeah, you know, or, you know, or to my I, functional medicine physician. Absolutely. You know, I had appendicitis last year and I, I found myself just so utterly grateful yeah. for the people that were able to take my appendix out and, you know, yep. literally prevent, prevent me from losing my life. Right. The yep. other side of it is, those people, and it's not their fault, just don't have the resources, the time, the system is not set the up. Training. In a way. Yeah. yeah, the training that allows them to do what you do and to dig into the food aspect of it, the food sensitivities, which are so gravely important. And I think the longer I do this, the more I realize that, you know, so I've, I've really benefited from both sides, from conventional and from functional. So absolutely. Yeah. I, I tend to think of traditional allopathic Western medicine as it is exactly what it was originally designed for acute care medicine. And, and they're not there yet to get under that diagnosis and figure out what's causing the problem to begin with, right? It's diagnose and treat the symptom. And so I I'm with you. I mean, it's, I, I look forward to the day when it's just medicine 
you know, <laughs> when the two come together, but hitting on things like, you know, food and nutrition and movement and sleep and toxins and, you know, all, all the goodies, stress management, these, that's a piece I think they're finally starting to notice, maybe asking people, you know, how, how their stress level is or what they're doing about it. But yeah, there, there's no, I, I had surgery two years ago as well and was so grateful for my, my GP who has been my doc for years and years and my surgeon and all, all of that. So I always thank you for bringing it up. I'm usually the one to clarify. I'm not, there's no good, bad, right, wrong. Yeah. But for anything chronic, you know, that it's just ask the question why. Yes. And follow that road. Like see where see where you go. Yes. Yeah. And if you don't get a why, then know that you need to go and look outside of that resource, right? Yes. Because it's not their fault. Maybe it's it's systemically flawed, if you will, in my opinion, because oh, even, yeah. you know, some of those doctors are not allowed or trained to sit there with you because of the way that insurance works. And, right. you know, it's, it's really not, it's, it's not their fault. Some of them are just kind of confined by this system. I don't know if you would agree. Oh, I think they're, I think they're extremely confined by the system and there, there's, yeah, there's no way in 15 minutes they can. And again, it goes back to the training. That's not what they're, that's not how they're trained. They're trained to name what's wrong, you know, diagnose it. And I, I had a doctor on the podcast who had said when she was practicing Western medicine, she genuinely felt like she wasn't doing her patients a service if she didn't give them a diagnosis and a prescription when yeah. they came in. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we all, we're all learning and doing the best we can. And I am with you. I'm you know, I, I, my babies were delivered by a Western trained doc and, and I'm using Western as I, I'm to, we're talking about allopathic medicine because a lot of functional medicine practitioners are MDs, DOs, Western trained that have converted, if you will. <laughs> and so yeah. I, I do believe, I don't know that it'll be in my lifetime, but I, I believe very slowly we're at the beginning of the road of all of that merging to, as I said, where it's just medicine, where we get back to, there was a time when people knew, you know, what you put in your body and how you treat your body matters. Absolutely. Oh, gosh, Julie, fingers, every, every part of my body is crossed that we can get back to that yes. sooner than later. I agree. We're, we're hopefully going in the right direction. I think the more we have these conversations and the more each of us figures these things out, I, I always, it's the ripple effect. You know, for me, I get such joy when my clients get better. But then knowing, you know, that now their kids are growing up completely differently than they would have. And they're talking to friends and they're, and this is how we're doing it. We're going to move the needle. Yeah, absolutely. It's that, it's that raising that awareness, even if it seems grassroots sometimes. Yes, absolutely. So what you kind of, you already gave us one, but I guess this is going to be an opportunity to either repeat it or come or give us another one. I always like to close with that one step that listeners can take starting today to start to improve their health. Absolutely. You know, other than the one that's my favorite, which is that it will be worth it. Mm -hmm. I'd say the next step is just take the time to put a little bit more thought into it. So if you're in the grocery store and you're feeling overwhelmed you know, take the time just to turn over that package and look at the ingredients, right? That's a, that's a big one because I know that you're not always going to want to pick up my cookbook and make something that evening, right? I know you're going to be in the grocery store pinched for time sometimes. And I think one thing that you can just really do to start to raise the awareness for yourself is flip it over, flip it to the side and look at the ingredients because Again, it sounds so cliche, but knowledge is power. And you just, until you start to figure these things out, you know, then you're going to be right where you're at. So just take the time for yourself. Do it for yourself. My husband always says self-care is not selfish. And I think that's so wise. Um, I love your husband already. 
Yeah. Well, well chosen. Good job. It's so true. I, I, that's, uh, and as a, as soon to be parents, that's, you guys should hang that in your house because it's, it is so true. Oxygen mask on you first. Oh gosh. Yeah. You might need to remind us of that once we get underway with this parental journey, but for sure, when you think about self-care, that is a form of self-care, you know, self-care doesn't have to be going to the spa, right? It can literally be being in the grocery store and taking the time for yourself to flip that package over and start to understand what you're putting in your body. So I think that would be my number two. Oh my gosh. Amazing, amazing advice. And that alone will change your life too, because I mean, I think I've shared this before on the podcast because it was my shining moment as a mother was my daughter called me one day. She was probably a senior in high school, maybe a junior. And the kids had hit the grocery store for lunchtime and, you know, to grab snacks for lunch And she called and literally said, you've ruined my life. And I said, well, that's good to know. What did I do? (laughs) And she said, I found this. I don't even know what it was, you know, at the store that I really wanted. And then I read the ingredients and I couldn't possibly put it in my mouth now. And I was like, mic drop. I am done on this earth. Yes. Go mom. (laughs) She has no idea. I tell that story all the time, but you know, she thought she was calling to complain and she literally made my day. And that was, you know, six years ago, probably. Absolutely. Yeah. So read those ingredients. Yes. So before we wrap up, we will have all the links in the show notes, but for those that listen on the go, and aren't going to take the time to look at the show notes, What's where's the best place for listeners to find you? Sure. If, if folks like to connect through social media, they can find me on Instagram or Facebook. My handle's at Clean Southern. And um, they can also find me on my website, cleansoutherncuisine.com. But I think that, you know, some people struggle with cuisine. So <laughs> spelling is not one of my strong suits either. So social media at Clean Southern is really simple to remember. And I look forward to connecting. Wonderful. Amanda, thank you so much. You have shared some amazing tips with us today. And I know I am inspired. I am sure listeners are as well. Well, thank you, Julie. And your work inspires me as well. So thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. For everyone listening, remember you can get the show notes and transcripts by visiting inspiredliving.show. I hope you had a great time and enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I will see you all next week. Thank you for listening to Julie Michelson's Inspired Living with Autoimmunity. Did you enjoy this episode? please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to get a transcript of this and every other episode, just head on over to inspiredliving.show or click on the link in this episode's description. There, you can also find everything we discussed in this episode, including links and information about our guest. You can even send in your questions to be answered by Julie in a future episode. That's inspiredliving.show. Until next time. This is Julie Michelson's Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast, helping you take your power back.